Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel 28. It can be found on page 250 of your pew Bible. Beginning at verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow and you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten, all, eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he rose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. 
Then they rose and went away that night. Good morning, everyone. I encourage you to leave your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 28. And would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you are with us this morning by word and spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God and that you give us what we need. We ask, Lord, that you will indeed bless our time with clarity of thought and purpose. And uh, let us not leave this day without being changed and transformed to be more of who you want us to be, like your son Jesus. Please help us. Amen. Well, if there was ever a time when I could have live audience interactive polling, it would be now. I'd love to know what you think about this passage as you heard Adam read it to us this morning. Because, well, it's quite a passage, isn't it? For many of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard such a thing from the Bible, talking about a medium, traditionally known as the witch at Endor. And maybe when you first heard this, well, it's hard not to envision the scene at Endor there, where this crooked-nosed, warded woman came out to the door and lets Saul in and brings him, her, brings him back into her lair and... She's over her pot saying, double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldrons bubble, and she shrieks off in laughter. For other of you who've heard this passage before, but now that we've paused a bit on it in our series, you have all kinds of questions that come up when you hear it. Who is this mistress of necromancy, as she's literally called? Was she legitimate? Do mediums really work? Can we talk to the dead. But there are another set of questions, I think, that arise from reading this text. But these questions and thoughts didn't come to me until late this week. See, the setting and tone of this chapter of the Bible is very dark, somber, heavy, sad, and frankly, scary. Our eyes and our minds are drawn to the questions about the witch and mediums and talking to the dead. Our minds might be drawn to questions about occult practices or the underworld. But I think our author wants our hearts to be struck with fear and heaviness about something else. And that something else comes clearly in verses 6 and 15. That's really the issue of this chapter. When God turns away, when God won't answer, when God abandons, when God is silent, that indeed is meant to strike fear into our hearts. Perhaps I can put it this way. When I was a kid, I loved those books called Which Way Books. And those books put you in the story, and you read through a bit of the story, and it got to the high point of tension, and you had a choice to make. You could choose to go to one page for one ending, or a different page for another continuation of the story. For example, walking down the entrance to the house, you hear a scream from the upstairs window. If you want to continue on into the house, go to page 15. If you want to turn around and go back to your car, go to page 18. And then the story proceeds from there based on what you pick. 
If our story here in 1 Samuel were laid out like this and we had a choice, it may go something like, learn more about mediums and talking with the dead, go to page 15. Learn more about God turning away, go to page 18. And perhaps I'm projecting too much, but my guess is that most of us, if given a choice, we'd go to page 15. Let's find more about witches and the underworld and talking with the dead. But I think the option our author really wants us to point to is page 18. Let's find out more about this issue of God turning away, about God remaining silent, because this is the worst thing that could happen. I don't want it to happen to me or us. In fact, our author wants us to see that this is actually the worst of all, all possible situations. He placed chapter 28 here right in the middle of a story about David encamping himself with the Philistines and fleeing over to their side. If you were here last week, you may remember that chapters 27 and 29 that surround our text this morning work together to tell one story about David fleeing to Israel's enemies with the Philistines. We saw that David got himself in quite a, into quite a predicament by seemingly siding with King Achish there in Gath. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 27 and the beginning of chapter 28, the story reaches its peak tension. David is asked by Achish to come along the king's side to fight with him against Israel. Now David has a choice now. Would he go to war against his own people, the Israelites? Would he lift his hand against Saul, the Lord's anointed, who he said over and over and over in our previous chapters that I will not lift my hand against you, Saul? Would he do that? Or if he refused to go to war against Saul and the Israelites, surely Achish would have David killed for not complying. Well, the scene quickly ends there in 28 verse 2, and we jump to a whole different scene in chapter 28 verse 3 and onward. And we're forced to wait to find out what happens with David until we get back to him in chapter 29. And we switch scenes to Saul in this medium at Endor. Why is this? What is our author trying to do? He certainly stylized this story by breaking up David's story and plopping in this story in chapter 28 for a reason. Well, one reason I think is very clear. He is trying to see, get us to see the comparison between the predicaments of David and Saul. See, both are in their respected messes because of those Philistines. We see there in chapter 28, verse 5, when the Philistines gathered together in war against Israel, well, that struck fear to the core, the heart of Saul. And there, verse 6 in chapter 28, so Saul then inquired of the Lord... But the Lord would not answer. In verse 3 there, we see that Samuel indeed has died, and no new prophet was given to Saul. Back in chapter 22, if you remember, Saul had slaughtered, in this gruesome tale, slaughtered all the priests. And the priest's way of communicating with the king and others was through this thing called a Urim. And that's how they could tell the will of the Lord to others. Well, the priests were gone, and so the Urim wasn't telling Saul anything. God was silent, and Saul's heart troubled. He called on the Lord, and the Lord was not there. 
Make no mistake, David's predicament was no light one. <laughs> he was trapped in his own game of espionage by the great enemies of God. But Saul's predicament is far, far worse. He is without the word of the Lord. And so by sequencing these two chapters, three chapters together, our author wants us to see this main point. Nothing is so utterly miserable than finding in the hour of greatest need that you have long ago placed yourself beyond the sound of God's voice, and now you're totally alone. Friends, the scene and setting and tone of chapter 28 is dark. It's somber, it's sad, and it's scary. I originally thought it was because of the witch, but I was wrong. What is really and truly sad and scary is being abandoned by God. Him turning his back, especially during an hour of great need. But these words of rejection weren't new to Saul. He knew from way back in chapter 15, when Samuel was still living, Samuel told him, Saul, God has rejected you because you have rejected his word, and now the kingdom belongs to David. And yet Saul wouldn't relinquish his throne to David. He wouldn't abdicate himself to God's new king following God's new plan. Saul knew God had abandoned him, and still Saul acted as if it didn't happen. So when we get here to chapter 28, and Saul sees the Philistines, he sees his kingdom, he sees his throne, he sees his power, all passing before his eyes. So what does Saul do? Now at first, it looks like Saul is very pious in calling upon the Lord, doesn't he? But in light of all that we know from the previous chapters about Saul, we know it isn't as it seems. Saul did in fact seek guidance from God, but he didn't do it out of love for God. He did it out of fear for his personal situation. And we know this because of what he does next. If you look at verses 7 through 10, Saul has finally settled in the fact that the Lord is silent, that Saul needs to get information. He's fearful and he needs some words of guidance. So he decides to act on his own. He takes this great risk and sneaks around the camp of the Philistines up to Endor. If we had a map, we could show that the Israelites are here, the Philistines are here, and Endor is up here. So it was great risk for Saul to disguise himself and go around the Philistines to get up to Endor. But he was desperate. And so he dresses up, he cloaks himself, and goes out by night to avoid being seen. Sin indeed loves darkness and covering, doesn't it? Well, Saul does all this, takes great risk to see a medium. Now, chapter 28, verse 3, reminds us that Saul rejected and expelled the mediums from the land. Why did he do that? Well, Deuteronomy 18, the law of Moses gives us the reason. Deuteronomy 18 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is, is, is as an abomination to the Lord. But Saul does it anyway. 
And as one author points out, Saul is a man of great contradictions, isn't he? The contradiction that he expelled the mediums, and yet he goes to find one. The contradiction that he's calling up from the dead Samuel, the great prophet of God, when God had already turned his back on Saul. None of these contradictions seem to bother the king. Saul devolves into this forbidden occult practice when God wouldn't answer him. Because Saul really wasn't after God. He wanted to deal with his problem. He wanted to do anything he possibly could to avoid being taken out. And so he results in doing something called an abomination to the Lord. Anything he could to get information to save himself from the Philistines. But what's interesting is that Saul didn't need information. He needed communion. He didn't need Samuel. He needed Yahweh, the Lord God. He needed to fall on his knees and repent and beg for mercy. But no, Saul wanted the results from God's favor, God's favor, but not the favor from God. And that's why, that's why God remained silent. Well, back to our story. Saul finally gets the medium to call up Samuel. And it works. Samuel appears and tells him really nothing new. All that Samuel says in verses 15 through 19, he has already told Saul when he was living back in chapter 15. That the Lord has torn away the kingdom from you, Saul, and the kingdom now belongs to David. But Saul does get one piece of slightly new information. He finds out there, in verses 18 and 19, that the next day, this indeed will happen, that Saul and his sons will perish at the hands of the Philistines, and they will be with Samuel. And then in verses 20 through 25, we have the most pathetic of endings. The medium of all people comfort the great King Saul. Offering him a meal fit for the king, but offering it to a man who is clearly quite unfit to be a king. She forces food upon Saul. He regains his energy. He gets up, and he leaves at night. How the mighty have fallen. The enthroned king of Israel spends his last night and eats his last meal at the medium's floor in a little outpost at Endor. So the question we have is, what are we to learn for all this? What are we to learn? And I think one thing is very clear, and it's a word of warning to all of us. One that should grip us more than any interest in mediums and talking with the dead. And that lesson is this. If you continue to despise God's word, he will take it from you. As someone put it, if you persistently refuse to obey God's speech you will endure his silence. See, we see in chapter 28, it's a culmination of many chapters of Saul rejecting the word from the Lord. And so when Saul's heart feared, and he went to the Lord, the Lord was not there. This chapter shows of Saul's heart devolving and hardening against the Lord. So the last real scene we see of King Saul's life, he's seeking out a medium to be his God, to give him hope, to give him sustenance, because he's rejected the one and truly God, the only one who could do such a thing. 
Friends, I hope this does not describe you this morning. Of course, I hope it doesn't describe you in terms of taking part in mediums, but much more importantly in this case, I hope this doesn't describe you as someone who's in serial, unrepentant sin, refusing to listen to God's word. And if it is you this morning, the Lord is graciously warning you. Are you in danger of being like Saul because you refuse to abdicate to his way and his word? Maybe this is the first time you've been here and you've never considered these things. Or maybe you sit here week after week, hearing God's word being poured into you, but slowly growing more and more, minimizing it, rejecting it, becoming indifferent to it. Please don't let that be you. It's a hypothetical to know what would happen if Saul would have repented. We don't know what would happen if the Lord would have come back to him. That was then, but this is now, and we do know one thing today for sure. If this is you, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian this morning, living like Saul, you can do something about it before it's too late. Romans chapter 5 says that while we were still Christ's enemies, he died for us. While we were still ungodly, he sacrificed for us. While we were still weak, he reconciled us. While we were still in sin, God showed his love for us in Jesus Christ. All those descriptions, enemies of God, sinners, ungodly, all those descriptions describe anyone who is not listening and abdicating himself or herself to God. But you don't have to let those descriptions, very apt of King Saul, you don't have to let those descriptions be the final descriptions that describe you. God promises through his gospel that he does speak a word of reconciliation and hope to anyone who has ears to hear. And so all those who would respond today with repentance and faith get new descriptions. So I'm going to ask you, is this you? With these new descriptions, because of the covering of Jesus Christ, righteous, blameless, beloved, son, daughter. See, the question for us this morning is not whether God is speaking or not. The question is whether we are listening. Saul ran out of chances. You haven't. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In the, by the, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And what this great and wonderful passage reminds us is that we live in a wonderful time. We live after the Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Spirit where we have full and complete access to God's words and His counsel any time. We have the full and certain revelation, as Chris said earlier, of God by His Son, Jesus Christ. We have continual access through the word of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So this text, I think, wants us to say... As we run it through the New Testament, please don't neglect a great salvation that's being held out to you. And you appropriate this through the hearing and the responding with faith and repentance.
Now, you respond to that this morning, maybe for the first time, if you've never responded to the gospel, or, like every Christian, we respond in faith or repentance every single day. I know I'm wrong, Lord. Put me in the right. If you would like to talk more about that, please come up afterwards. One of us will be up here. If you want to pray and say, this is the day, I do not want to neglect any farther, because I do not want to be like Saul. Or, if you're someone who has put your trust in Jesus, may I encourage you to keep yourself in and under the word of the Lord. You've heard about these opportunities we have. We don't just run programs here. We run them because they're vitally important. God is speaking. Are we listening? Commit yourself to reading the Bible. Commit yourself to a group of people to do this with each and every week, whether one-on-one or in a small group. My hope this morning is that you've seen this chapter, 28 in 1 Samuel, afresh, and realize that through all these peripheral issues, like mediums and talking to the dead, while they're interesting, there's something much more important, and that's God and His Word. And I hope you were glad that we chose page 18 to go towards in our Which Way book, because while it seemed less exciting at its time, we see that it's infinitely more important. But I also think there is value of taking page 15 instead. The other option in our book. Choosing the ending that takes us down the path of learning a little bit more about these side issues of mediums and life from the passage. So what I've done is a bit of projected Q&A. It was announced to me that thought, let's just open it up for questions, but I didn't have the guts to do that. So what I did is I, I, I talked about this passage with lots of people over the last few weeks, and I came up with four or five questions that I think may help us figure out all these other issues, or at least start to. Now, I don't have time to go in depth about these, so please feel free to come up and ask me afterwards. But let's have a start, and let's look at some of these questions that may be in your mind about this passage. Before we do that, though, I do want to say one kind of foundational piece about all these questions about mediums and things and the like. And I want to quote to you an Old Testament commentator I think summarizes it well. He says, This chapter of the Bible tells us nothing whatsoever about the practice of mediums except to remind us that of the fact that the law forbade it. It is a mistake to try to draw firm conclusions on that subject from this chapter. Did the woman have power to bring Samuel back from the dead? The text does not say so. It simply tells us that Samuel appeared. And so that leads us to, I think, the first question. Where did Samuel actually come from? This question could be out of place. You'll hear more in a moment because some people actually don't think it's Samuel in the text. But let's just go with it here and say that Samuel took place in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, all dead people go to a place called Sheol, that you'll find referred often to in the book of Psalms. Well, what we know, what we call now heaven and hell, didn't really exist at that time. What did exist was a place called Sheol, and all people went there. And you'll see that testified there. Look at verse 19. What does Samuel tell Saul? He says, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So that's where Samuel was. He was in Sheol. The next question is probably a bit more interesting. Did the medium actually have the power 
to bring someone up from the dead. Now, this question people are really split on. You can see in verse 12 there, in 28, that when Samuel was raised up, the medium screamed or cried out. Why did she scream? Well, you could say that all mediums are kind of hocus-pocus, right? That it's all fake, it's all snake oil salespersons, right? And that she's so used to doing her seances to, to pull one over on people, and it actually worked this time, and she wasn't expecting it to, and so she screamed. Or you could go the other way and say, because the medium knew, finally knew it was Samuel in front of her, then it hit her who was standing there making the request. Ah, it's got to be Saul. And if you look at their conversation, what is she worried about? That Saul's going to kill her. Back at verse 3, he expelled all the necromancers from the land. So now she's in trouble, and that's why she screamed. And actually, other people think that it's not Samuel at all, that it's a demon masquerading to look like Saul. And this actually goes back to chapter 16 in 1 Samuel, where we're told that the Lord removed his anointing from Saul and gave him an evil spirit. And that this evil spirit kept tormenting Saul throughout the chapters, and it's actually that evil spirit here covering as Samuel. Well, my view, for what it's worth, is that it is Samuel, and that God allowed the medium to work in this case as a reminder to Saul, but also a reminder to those reading this and hearing this book of God's judgment on those who reject him. The fact is, as to my previous statement, we don't know the answer to this. And I want to say something even more importantly, it doesn't matter. As I've talked about in my sermon, what's the clear matters that matter from this passage? The word of the Lord and listening to him. And at this point, let me just briefly recommend, if you want to learn more about or think more about the biblical ideas of demons, underground, occult, things like that, if you have questions about this, there's a little book in the bookstore that there's a number of copies of called Living with the Underworld. And it's a really helpful book on this topic about the underworld and occult, but it's also, in one sense, more helpful because it teaches us to read the Bible where we keep the main things at the center and all the things on the periphery are interpreted by the main thing. What's the main thing of the Bible? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And until we make that the main part of our questions, we won't understand these other things. So if you want to learn more about that or read more, I encourage you to pick up that book. What the Bible puts on the periphery is meant to stay in the periphery. So we can leave that and say, we don't know and it doesn't matter. But what does matter is what do we make of mediums today? Our third question. See, whatever you make of 1 Samuel 28, there is no doubt that many people, even Christians, I'm sorry to say, are intrigued, perhaps even tempted to consult a medium. I think there are no less than three television shows right now on where there are mediums helping people contact the dead. What do we make of this? Well, let me say that I think we do, in this case, have a very clear word from the Lord about this issue. And it's from our passage in Deuteronomy. And there are many other passages in the Old Testament, too. Whereby we're strictly charged not to consult a medium because it's an abomination from the Lord. John Piper says about this chapter, The point of this chapter is not that necromancy and divination or the work of mediums is impossible, but that 
that it is to be avoided at all costs by God's people because it is an assault on God's wisdom and authority and love, and therefore in the category of idolatry and rebellion and abomination. My view is, and you're certainly open to disagree with this, but that is there is something to the practice and there is something that we don't want to mess with. It could be that God's forbidding mediums and necromancy because it's that false, pull your rule over your eye, tomfoolery. And he said, don't allow them to stay in the land, get them out. And in many cases, that may be the case today. But I don't think in all the cases, there could be a possibility of these things working. But in all cases, it's always out of darkness and evil. I also think there's an aspect of this issue uh, that we need to think about of what are we content with. Peter Bolt, who wrote that book I mentioned earlier, said, the truth was, Israel had no need for occult practices or consulting mediums because Yahweh protected his people. When urged to consult those people, chirp and mutter, Israel should have responded, quoting Isaiah 8, should not God's people consult their God? Should not we as Christians consult our God? Now I've read over the last few weeks a number of accounts of Christians who've fallen into the practice and dabbled with the practice of necromancy and mediums. And let me say, every account that I've read never ends well. Every account ends somewhere along the lines of how Saul ends. How does Saul end as he interacts with a medium? He ends up on the floor in a medium's house to end his reign. Now, again, I'm no expert on this topic, but if you want to talk more about this, please come up and talk to me because I have spent some time reading about it. I think there are a couple reasons why people are intrigued by mediums. One I'll address with our next question, but, but I think one is very much heartfelt. There's a strong desire to communicate with lost loved ones, aren't there? The pastors that I've talked to who've dealt with people who go to see mediums, they've all said the same thing. They said their people just want one more chance to talk to their loved ones. Today is my late father's birthday. He's been gone from us six years. I'd love to know his eternal state. I'd love to know. But God has given me enough to trust my Heavenly Father with all things. I don't need to know. And I shouldn't try to find out. Brothers and sisters, don't be tempted. Nothing you could find out will help your faith. Nothing you can learn or experience will help you grow in the Lord. I think of Luke's chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had much on this earth. The Lazarus, the poor man Lazarus had nothing. And then when they both died, the rich man was sent to Hades and the poor man was put in Abraham's bosom with Abraham. And the rich man, with the unquenchable fire on him, said, Abraham, please send back someone from the dead who's experienced this horrible torment to tell my five living brothers, change, repent, you don't want to end up like me. 
And Abraham's response is what? Listen, if they don't believe in Moses and the prophets, they will not believe if they see someone dead raised from the grave. Well, I think the same thing is for us today. Seeing or hearing anyone other than Jesus who has died will do nothing to convince us of God and his great ways if we don't believe in Moses and the prophets. If we don't already believe in how God has spoken to us already, no experience will help us along the way. Don't be tempted. It never works. It doesn't help. And it's an abomination to the Lord. Well, our final question is this. This passage certainly brings up this idea is how can we hear God's voice? I think that's the other reason why people are intrigued by mediums. They want to know information. They want to know something they otherwise can't find out. Well, again, what's interesting about this passage, as I said earlier, Saul finds out nothing new from this passage. And anything he did find out, it leaves him on the floor, distraught for his own life. Is it possible that we can be like Saul, where God, we call upon the Lord and the Lord doesn't answer? Well, I'm very happy to reiterate to you this morning what I said earlier. Praise Jesus that we live on this side of the cross. We have the full word of God at all times in what's here in our holy book. We have access to God's mind, God's way. As 1 Peter says, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, everything we need to know for life and godliness is contained here. The issue is not if God is speaking. He is. The issue is, are you listening? Let's pray. I want to use a psalm to guide our prayer. It's a psalm of great joy and happiness because it's the anti-psalm. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, Lord, thank you for speaking to us clearly through your word and spirit. Give us ears to hear so that we will trust and love you all our days. Amen.